You're listening to the Quicker Than Fast podcast with your hosts, Michael and Robert Hardwick. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Quicker Than Fast Podcast to stay up to date on NFL news, information regarding episodes, and to join the conversation. And why not hit that like and share button on our Facebook page? And thank you for your support. Ladies and gentlemen, pull out your hair ties. It's time to let your hair down and truly get funky. Hello and welcome everyone to episode 13 of the Quicker Than Fast podcast. As always, I'm your host, Michael Hardwick, and again joined by my brother and co-host, Robert. Hey. Um, Yeah, so we're back after taking a little time off. Um, Hope everyone's doing well, staying safe. Um, But yeah, for episode 13, we're going to just keep looking forward uh, towards the 2020 NFL season. Um, And and for this one, for episode 13, what we're going to do is uh, discuss and rank what we think are the best quarterback coach duos in the NFL. Um, And then to finish the episode... We're going to talk about the teams who have the most um, go or to lose, you know, the most at stake for the 2020 NFL season. So sit back, enjoy. We're gonna we're gonna keep giving you previews for the upcoming season. I think just to start, we should just dive on in and and talk about what we think is the number one quarterback coach duo in the NFL. And I'll let Robert start. Who do you think that is? I think it's a no brainer, probably. Yeah, and it's a no brainer. Obviously, you look at last year, the last couple of years of dominance. Um, I mean, it's Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes. They just they put on a show offensively. Reed's been a huge, I mean, benefactor to Mahomes' success. You kind of wonder what Mahomes would be if he wasn't in that system. Reed did a lot, I mean, with the Eagles for all the years he was there with yep. Alex Smith. But, I mean, he set up a powerhouse for years to come, and we'll see how long Andy Reed stays around. But for right now, he's our number one. Yeah, I mean, the Chiefs being your favorite going into next year for Super Bowl champs, you know, it makes sense to have the best quarterback, best coach. You're going to see a lot of correlation here with successful teams, obviously having a good coach. And a good player. And, and what's interesting coming up is, I mean, Mahomes is going to get paid big. They're going to write him. I mean, just give him a check with a signature, and and it'll it it depends on what the team's going or what's going to happen with the team that way. You're going to lose a lot of guys because you can't bring them in. And Andy Reid's going to help that with his coaching and be able to get the most out of guys. So it's very beneficial to them. Yep. And so I think for a number two guy, we're going to go with another young quarterback in the league guy coming off his MVP season, that's got to be Lamar Jackson and then John Harbaugh. You know, the Ravens being the best record in the regular season this last year, and they, they, have, they have to prove that they can continue it. But I think if you're talking you're talking a Super Bowl winning coach in Harbaugh and you're talking the, the last year MVP in, in Lamar Jackson, it just fits for me as the number two quarterback coach. Yeah, and the thing is with Harbaugh is there's two sides to look at it. He was about ready to lose his job before Lamar Jackson came in. And even his first year, he was going to lose it after the Flacco thing kind of blew up. And so there's concern there of how long is he really going to be with the Ravens organization if something falls apart. But is Lamar Jackson Lamar Jackson without Harbaugh? And so, I mean, it's just a good marriage there in terms of that. But Harbaugh was kind of on the hot seat for a while. So it's something to look forward to if Jackson kind of struggles in the next couple of years, he may be let go. Yeah, I just think the, the, the pairing there, the culture that John Harbaugh brings to that team um, what that team's kind of becoming uh, in a full unit there. I think that's it's a perfect marriage for those two, like you said. Um, so that's why they fall in at number two for us. And then number three here was one that we kind of went back and forth on who we thought. Um, but you're, here you're talking another MVP caliber quarterback and potential Hall of Famer coach, um, and that's Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. I mean, year after year, they're in the playoffs. Year after year, they're kind of taking a team that maybe other coaches and quarterbacks wouldn't be getting into the playoffs, and they're they're succeeding. They're, they're in close games. They're winning games. So, yeah, Pete Carroll – Potential Hall of Fame coach, Russell Wilson, a guy who should be MVP, 
in certain years. And and again, this year should be one of those favorites for the MVP. Makes sense to fall on at number three for us. Well, and it's hard to believe no MVP votes for Russell Wilson. I mean, and that's just robbery on that part. The best thing about Carroll is he lets Wilson play free on offense. I mean, he lets him open up the field, kind of do what he does best. You see when Pete Carroll gets his hands in it, they don't run the ball. And that's the only issue every now and then. But Russell Wilson, I mean, commands that offense, runs it, and Pete Carroll just stays out of the way, which makes it great. No, I was just thinking this. I don't know if there's another coach in the NFL that's maybe Andy Reid, I suppose, but as more of a player's coach than Pete Carroll. What do you think? Do you think Pete Carroll's the, the best just player coach out there? Players just want to play for Pete Carroll? Yeah, everybody seems to want to go to Seattle because they love Pete. And we talked about the last guy with Harbaugh. They're building, you say, an organization there, a character organization built around Lamar Jackson and Harbaugh. And I think a lot of those players there that maybe have trouble past want to go to the Ravens and play for him because he is a player's coach. So I think those top three guys, that's kind of what separates them from the next ones we're going to talk about. So we go to number four here. We talk about Sean Payton and Drew Brees next. A long marriage in this. And tell me what you think about them. Yeah, like you said, they're a long marriage. And another interesting one, like you mentioned with John Harbaugh almost losing his job a few years ago. I remember when when Sean Payton was on the hot seat there for a little bit, maybe thinking about going to Dallas yep. at one point. And, you know, instead they, they kind of had a, you know, a little bit of a change in their team, kind of a mini rebuild. And now you're looking at one of the best teams in the NFL these last three seasons. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to beat Sean Payton. He's a Super Bowl winning coach. He's one of the best minds in the league, being able to take players and put them in position to succeed. And yeah, Drew Brees, maybe his last year in the NFL. I mean, we're seeing what, what, what's happening in the, in the media with Drew Brees and stuff. Um, but just in terms of talent, did quarter, you know, quarterback talent, uh, pedigree, coaching pedigree, that's why they've come into our top five. Yeah, and if you're a Saints fan, you're a little concerned about, obviously, Michael talked what's going on in the media and things like that. You hope before the season, I mean, they mesh back together because the team was like you talk about with the Seahawks. They, they were a very together group. And so it's important going forward, especially with the Bucks now, I mean, getting Brady and Gronk yeah. and such, to definitely be 100% all the time. So I think Peyton and Breeze are really the leaders in making sure that happens. You know, and for me, I, and I've said this in episodes past, like I think the Saints, to me, besides the Chiefs, are actually my favorite. They're my favorite in the NFC to get to the Super Bowl, but the, the Saints are. And that more than has to do with Breeze, it's, it's about Sean Payton. I think he's just a fantastic coach, a brilliant mind, and puts players into positions to succeed. Well, and they're in a couple of robberies away from going to Super Bowls. I mean, you look at the pass interference, no call, yep. and then you look at the, the mini. Off. Yep, and you look at the Minneapolis miracle, you know, that knocked him out by a safety just not making a tackle. So we're going to move on to number five here, and this is someone near and dear to your heart. Yeah, and it's Doug Peterson and Carson yeah, Wentz. It feels good to talk about, but yeah, I think you know you're seeing a trend with these top five coaches here, all Super Bowl winners. And that Doug Peterson, right, Super Bowl winning coach. And, you know, Carson Wentz, one of the top maybe 10, 7 quarterbacks in the league. It just makes that that's, that that pairing there makes sense. They're on the same page. Good pedigree there. I mean, I don't, I don't know. What do you think about Peterson and Wentz being in five? No, they have great chemistry. They know what each other wants. And, and it, it translates to their backup. I mean, you saw it with Nick Foles in the Super Bowl being able to step in that way. Obviously, Peterson would prefer Wentz to be able to stay on the field. It's all about injuries and such like that. But in terms of them being able to read each other and make the best decisions offensively, there, yeah. there's there's few better than those two. And I think that at times, you know, they're, they're kind of like the Seahawks and at times where they're, they're actually playing, you know, with the injuries they have and players out. They're maybe exceeding expectations like they did this last season, unfortunately losing to Seattle in the playoffs. But um, for me, you know, a lot of that is on Doug Peterson's shoulder, being able to take the players he has and succeeding with them. So we'll move on to number six. And this one, this is where it starts to get interesting. It starts to get, 
you know, opinionated where you're going to put these people in. And, and a reminder before we go on, this is a coach and quarterback, you know. Pairing. Yep. And so it's not just, oh, you're going to go, this quarterback should be ahead of this one. That's not what it is. It's a coach and quarterback pairing. Yep. Absolutely. So this one we come in, and it's it's Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy G. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan, to me, and I think Robert's going to agree, there's more, you know, Kyle Shanahan's more of the poster child of that offense, mm-hmm. you know, being better and going to translate more success for Jimmy G in that regard. But again, you're talking a team that just made it to the Super Bowl, so they need to be up high on our list. And this is why we put them here, is because Shanahan knows what Jimmy G is. He's not going to be able to drop back, throw 50 times, spread out the field, and tear offenses apart or defenses apart like Mahomes is going to do. But he knows what he is. They run the ball, get on play action. The same kind of thing maybe the Vikings do, you know, with Kirk Cousins. But Shanahan and Jimmy G are better at doing it. And to me, Kyle Shanahan's not just a flash in the pan, quick, you know, mm-hmm. just young. He is a young coach, but we've seen success everywhere he's well, been. Look at his pedigree. Offensive coordinators, quarterback coaches, everywhere he goes, he leaves a, a lasting impact that's positive for the team. And we just saw it here at the Niners again with, you know, great ownership, but great head coach. And, and you have a very good quarterback in Jimmy G. That's why they come in at number six. Now to number seven, a team where we haven't yet seen what they can do. And that's Bruce Arians and Tom Brady at number seven. I know you want to talk about this. Tell me why Arians and Brady come in at seven and haven't even played yet. I, I go back to Arians and Carson Palmer. Palmer, a little older in his career, a little younger than Brady was at the time. But Arians is a coach that can relate and understand veteran quarterbacks. And and I feel like it's going to work depending on what the season's going to play out to be, what kind of time they get with their receivers and such. But Arians is just such a quarterback coach that I was surprised things didn't work out with Jameis Winston last year. Sure. But he's going to take Brady. He's going to understand Brady's strengths. And he's not going to put him in a position where weaknesses are going to be exposed at his age. And, yeah, it's not like we're, we're choosing Arians here as just like this really young head coach with not a ton of experience getting Tom Brady. I mean, Arians has been around the league forever, had success. He's left his imprint all over the league, um, whether it was at the Colts. Or, Peyton you know, Manning. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. he has experience with Hall of Fame yeah. quarterbacks. And then you're talking about the greatest quarterback of all time now to pair with this highly regarded, very, very good head coach of Bruce Arians. So I don't think a lot of people are going to argue that they're coming in at number seven. So, that, and then number eight, a little bit of a surprise here. Maybe, you know, a younger kind of duo here. That's Sean McDermott and Josh Allen. And now this is a team that just get made to the playoffs last year, has some high expectations coming into this season. McDermott, again, another guy who's had success at Carolina as a defensive coordinator. Now success leading a Bills team with a great culture there. And Josh Allen, young quarterback who needs to improve, but is already turning out to be a pretty solid NFL quarterback. That's why I think they fit number eight for us. If you look at just coach and quarterback duos yeah and I wanted them there just because Josh Allen obviously has to take a next step coming up to the next year maybe we'll talk about a little later but McDermott understands he's a young quarterback he's trying to learn he's trying to catch up with the NFL still and they have a good defense and if Josh Allen makes mistakes they work on it together so McDermott wants to focus on the defense he wants to build it up but there's such a good chemistry between Allen and McDermott that it works for them, and it's going to it's gonna translate to wins and success here in the near future. Absolutely. Now another one, our, our number nine quarterback and coach duo, it's another young one, and that's Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, something we've been wanting to talk about here a little bit because you look around the league, there might not be better a better pairing of a coach and quarterback, and that's why they fall in for us in our top ten is because they, they're so perfect together. You know, they, they have the same mindset of what they want to do with that kind of running offense a little bit, you know, spread it out, get the ball in people's hands and play. So in terms of just a duo there, it fits perfectly. The success for that team is going to be built on how that that duo there comes together. Yeah, and it shows because 
uh, Kingsbury wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for Murray going number one at the Cardinals. Yep. I mean, it, it, it was a match made in heaven from the get-go. The second he was hired, you knew who they were taking. And, I mean, he recruited him in college. And you just knew that that direction it was going to go. I wasn't a big fan of Kingsbury. I'm still not a massive fan. But I understand that it's going to start translating to wins, I think, in the near future, especially with the pieces that they've brought in. And so I think Cardinals are a team, as we talked about in other episodes, to really watch out for in the future, especially with this duo. Yeah, and I mean, if you haven't listened to our episode where we predict MVPs, go back and listen. Stop listening to this. Go back and listen to that. But that's where, you know, we even talked. Kyler Murray has potential possibly to be in the MVP race if this duo works so well together. So that's why they're they're so high up for us. Mm -hmm. Number 10, we're going with a little bit older one here. Mike Tomlin and Big Ben. Now, Big Ben's a name we haven't heard a lot of lately because of the injury last year. But Mike Tomlin, Super Bowl winning coach, one of the more consistent coaches in the in the NFL, and Big Ben, you know, potential Hall of Famer. We could have a debate on that a different day. But that that duo right there is just because of how long they've been together and what could come next year. Are you sure you didn't mean Mason Rudolph? Absolutely. <laughs> no, I don't I, think Mason Rudolph steps no, on the field no. again. I, I, and I agree. I mean, Mike Tomlin, Big Ben, long term success, and they get each other. You kind of the Steelers aren't a team that turn over coaches very often, as you see. And Mike Tomlin is his time in Pittsburgh starting to run out. Big Ben is his time starting to run out. I think it's happening, but it doesn't mean that they don't have chances at Super Bowls here in the next two years if Big Ben stays around and stays healthy. Yeah, I mean, Steelers have one of the best young defenses in the league, so it comes down now to quarterback and coach duo to be able to get them across the line into the playoffs again, you know, and, and, and back to where they were, you know, years and years that we've seen over the, the history of the NFL. Now, here's one I know Robert's going to love to talk about. That's Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers. So they come in at number 11 for us because that duo, as we saw last year, actually struck fire in, in, Matt, in, in Matt LaFleur's young um, um, career here at the Packers. So talk about LaFleur and Rodgers a little bit. Well, and I'll slow you down on the fire part a little bit is they, did, they, did, they, fire. they didn't put up the points that maybe Green Bay offenses have in the past. Four. But their defense was a little better, so we will take that. But LaFleur – and Rodgers have a lot of mending to do, especially after what happened here with Love getting drafted. The thing is, the floor wants to run the ball, take the ball out of Rodgers' hands a little more, run some play action, kind of like Tennessee right now Absolutely. is doing with Tannehill, obviously coming from there. And I think I think it's hard for Rodgers sometimes to see eye-to-eye with LaFleur, who's younger than Rodgers is. But you see at times last year flashes in the pan of greatness, you know, between the two. And so I think... If Rodgers can put behind him that they draft in Jordan Love, go into this offseason and really commit to who they have on the team, then I, th- I think it'll be a good pairing, especially at a number 11 spot. Yeah. I wouldn't put him in a top five, but I think number 11 is a pretty good fit for him. And with the number 12 spot, we actually have a, a duo here that we haven't got to see yet on the field, um, and that's uh, Frank Reich and Philip Rivers. We did get to see them work together in when they were in San Diego at the Chargers, uh, a few years back, went before Frank Reich left there, ended up going to the Eagles. And we know the story there. But with Philip Rivers moving over, again, you're talking about a debatable Hall of Fame type quarterback with just a good offensive mind in Frank Reich, who people have, have talked about, one of the better young coaches or newer coaches in the NFL, head coaches. So I really like this pairing here. It's a pairing I'm really excited to see what happens. I think Philip Rivers is kind of he's, – he's way over the hill. It'll be interesting if, if Reich can get the best out of him for one more season. But – it's a duo here that I think just because of their pedigree and the talent there could be, you know, that's why they're at 12 for us. Yeah, and I made this argument with Rivers and other podcasts is obviously their offensive line is much improved compared to the Chargers. 
I have a lot of respect for Frank Reich and what he's did with the Eagles and now what he is doing with the Colts. And so I, I think they're moving in the right direction. I think he works well with veteran quarterbacks that have experience. And so I think this is going to be, you know, kind of a partnership that you're going to want to watch out as the season progresses. I don't think it's going to be one that's an explosive one, but I think it's one that's going to bring a lot of wins to Indianapolis and they're going to compete for the division. Yep. So then at 13, we have one that's it's hard to deny the talent here or, the, you know, the, the pedigrees here, but Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins. As much as I'm not a Kirk Cousins fan, I like Mike Zimmer, but it's just the talent there, you know, the, the success that they both had, it's hard not to put them in our top 15. Um, you know, let us know your thoughts. Do you think Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins should be higher um, than 12 or than 13? But what are your thoughts, Robert? Well, in my opinion, Kirk Cousins should be paying for Dalvin Cook holding out in his salary because, I mean, way overpaid for the production he's got. And obviously they say, you know, he, he's, he's getting these wins and blah, blah, blah. He's getting a lot of stats, though, in garbage time games. But you can't deny what Mike Zimmer's done with Kirk Cousins. It's a lot like we talk about with Shanahan and Jimmy G. Zimmer knows what Cousins does well, and it's play action. So they run the ball, run the ball, and then pass on a play action pass. It's going to be interesting to see what happens without a Stephon Diggs this year. I mean, a couple changes on defense. Yep. But I think as far as Cousins and Zimmer, it's the best fit for Cousins probably in the NFL outside of a Mike Shanahan. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and that's why they come at number 13 for us. I mean, that duo has translated to quite a few wins there in playoffs. So, I mean, it just makes sense to fit in at number 13. Number 14 is a, a newer duo, one that we saw have a lot of success last year. It's Mike Vrabel and Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill coming over to the Titans. And you saw him, he come into that, comes into that system, it has a lot of success, kind of like what we saw, you know, we're talking Zimmer and, mm-hmm. and Cousins or Shanahan and, and Jimmy G, where it's, you know, a lot of play action type type plays. And I think Vrabel kind of got the best out of Tannehill. And we're looking at Tannehill maybe revitalizing his career a little bit, which I'm really excited to see. Yeah, and I'll say this about Tannehill. I was always a big fan of him with Miami. And at times he really showed glimpses that he was going to be a good quarterback. Injuries just kept him from being successful. And, and Adam Gase. Yep. And so now that you can hand off the ball to Derrick Henry, let him run it, it's kind of turning into like we talked about a Zimmer Cousins thing. Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, throw it deep on a play action. Yep. And Tannehill does that great for that offense. As long as he can stay healthy, Tennessee's going to compete just as they did with the in the AFC this yeah. year. Mike Vrabel's still a young head coach. You know, they got they got a young team there that, that can have a lot of success. And it's it's gonna start with the foundation between the quarterback and the coach here. Um, number 15, another one we haven't yet seen, um, and that is Mike McCarthy, your favorite man in the world, Mike McCarthy, and Dak Prescott, Yuck. a team that we're probably going to be talking about here coming up as a team with a lot to prove here in 2020. But I just, again, you have a Super Bowl winning coach in Mike McCarthy. You have a talented quarterback in Dak. There's nothing that says otherwise. Dak's talented quarterback led to quite a few wins there for, for uh, Dallas. But they may, they make the choice to finally move on and get a new head coach there in Dallas. And, and so there's a lot riding here, but... The pedigree's there. Yeah, and Mike McCarthy works well with young quarterbacks. He did it with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's worked with veterans, obviously. And I think Dak Pe- or Dak Prescott is going to learn a lot from Mike McCarthy in terms of reading the field, reading defenses, who's really going to struggle, I think, with this combination of McCarthy and Dak is going to be Zeke. I don't know if he's going to see the ball as much as he had in the past with Jason Garrett, but in terms of Dak Prescott maybe taking the next step in his game – Obviously, getting C.D. Lamb's a big thing. Mike McCarthy's going to add to that. Got a question for you here. Jason Garrett, how much of an improvement do you think Mike McCarthy is over Jason Garrett? Let's say... About one Super Bowl. Sorry. Two Super Bowls. <laughs> no, but I, I, 
I they're, they're the same kind of coach in my opinion. They 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 always take off really hot, and you go, this is the next coach. This is going to lead to great things, and they stall out. Mike McCarthy did that. He had a Hall of Fame coach in Aaron Rodgers and won one Super Bowl with him and couldn't get over the hill. So are you going to tell me that he goes to Dallas and takes Dak, take Dak Prescott and the crew and go win another Super Bowl? It's, it's hard for me to believe right now, but it'll be interesting to see how the season plays yep, out. Absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of my thoughts too there. So the last thing we wanted to do, that was our top 15 um, of coach-quarterback duos in the NFL. Um, let us know your thoughts. Who do you think we missed out on? Some people that you thought we should have had higher or lower? Um, but we want to talk now. We each picked our three quarterback coach duos that we do not like in the NFL. We think they're the worst in the NFL, or it's a little bit more subjective, just ones that we we just don't like, period. Um, and I'll just start with my number three worst coaching quarterback duo is Adam Gase and Sam Darnold. And this has a little bit more to do with Adam Gase than it does Sam Darnold. I think that Jets team is just such a dumpster fire that Darnold isn't going to have the success he might other places. But I think Adam Gase is holding him back tremendously from even – you know, reaching his potential there. We've seen him, him fail now in, in Miami, now coming to the Jets, and it's just sputtering there. There's there's no talent, and so it's part of ownership GM fault, but really Adam Gase, I think, needs to get out of the league, and I think Sam Darnold then can have some success. Yeah, and we've argued Gase, I mean, in, in other podcasts, and we're both in agreement that he's not the best coach for Darnold, for the team, for Le'Veon Bell. My question is, is Sam Darnold on the New York Jets in five years? No. You don't believe so? I don't think so. Is it due to his production of not growth, or is it due to lack of receivers, lack of yeah, line? absolutely. I mean, it's to me, it's not Darnold's – it's not all Darnold's fault at all. Like, it's more of the team structure around him. I think when it's time, his time comes up to get a new contract, we've talked about it. Darnold would be smart, kind of like we talked about with Watson. They would be smart to just walk away and say, I'm just going to go find – and I think that's what's going to happen. I, I hope it does just because I want both you know Darnold's success in the NFL to be somewhere else – turn down the money from, from the Jets, and go find a team that better suits him because they've had such a poor attempt at getting players and skill positions around Darnold. And, and I agree. So I'm going to do my number three. You talk about Watson, and I'm not going to jump into, the, I mean, the big rabbit hole that I did last time about yeah. Deshaun Watson. This is more about Bill O'Brien. We know that he's not an NFL coach. And maybe he's an NFL coach, but he's not an NFL GM. We see it with poor trades. Yep. I mean, a couple drinks on a Saturday night, we could make the same type of trades he's making. I do it every weekend. Yep. So this is my number three just because of the coach. I got a lot of respect for Watson in terms of the ability he has, but it's very limited to, like you say, Darnold and Gase. O'Brien is really holding Watson back in what he can do there. I'm not going to go any further on it. We, I mean, in past episodes, go listen to him. We really dove into kind of Watson's career, what we think he can be, what's holding him back. But we'll jump into Michael's number yeah. two here. And the number two one's the one we just haven't seen yet, so it's you know, jury's still out on it. But uh, Joe Judge and Daniel Jones, it's for the for the New York Giants. There's just a lot of question marks. It seems one. like a weird hire for a guy that's a young coach and a young running or a young quarterback, quarterback and a young running back. Yeah, so for me, you got Joe Judge, who, you know, a special teams guy at the Patriots, was an Alabama guy. I, I don't want to have – I want Joe Judge to succeed. I, I want to like Joe Judge. It just – to me, it's curious. You bring him in as a head coach to have a young quarterback to say, we need a guy to help Jones's progression and to become this, you know, number seven or six overall pick type quarterback. And then you bring in Jason Garrett to then also help with Daniel Jones's improvement. But anyways, Daniel Jones, I do think he surprised me, was better in his rookie year than I thought. 
But to me, it's a very questionable pairing here. And there's, I think, a higher chance at busting with this duo than there is having success. So that's why they come in at number two for me in, in a duo that I just don't care to, to care to like right now. Yeah, and I agree. It's going to be interesting to see what the future holds. I mean, we talk about more of the past. In my number two here, there's not much future left, but it's Dan Quinn and Matt Ryan. Interesting. So, I mean, Matt Ryan a little bit older in his career. Dan Quinn, obviously defensive coordinator for a long time with Seattle moves to the Falcons. And I just don't think there's much of a future left there. They tried to get rid of Dan Quinn. I mean, they got Todd Gurley now. Can he help that offense? But that defense is really struggling right now and really struggling to stop defenses. You got the Saints and Bucks coming. What do you think about them? Yeah, I'm just curious. You know, your your last pick was more on O'Brien than Watson. Is this one more on the duo as a whole, or is it more on Ryan or Quinn? Because for me, Dan Quinn, I loved the guy. I've come really, really cold on him. To me, it would be more about Quinn in this one than Ryan as well. But I know your thoughts a little bit on Ryan too. Yeah, and this comes both for me. I just think of – After the Super Bowl, I mean, it was such a devastating loss that I think it just shook the organization and they never really recovered from it. I mean, the Falcons have never been a team that's been stellar since Michael Vick to begin with until the season they went to the Super Bowl here and lost to the Patriots. I just think, I mean, Matt Matt Ryan, he puts up a lot of numbers. It doesn't translate to wins. Doesn't always, yeah. No, and you really need it. I'd rather see him throwing 250 yards and being able to run the ball. Look at Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman when they were there. Yeah. I mean, that's when they were dominant. They got away from it. And now you got Todd Gurley, depending on if he's healthy. But I really think the two of them, they just need a separation. And honestly, I think it's time for the Falcons to cut ties with Matt Ryan. But that's a different conversation. Yeah, and to me, with Dan Quinn, one of the reasons I've, I've soured on him so much is the idea that they've invested so much into that offense at times because they always felt Dan Quinn then could just rebuild that defense. And with having what I think is actually halfway decent defense at times, it's just been really mediocre in the NFL. So to me, it's a weird pairing of a defensive-minded coach and you know a very offensive team with Matt Ryan. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with it coming no, in at your I, number two. I mean, Matty Ice has turned the organization's future cold. So we'll go to your number Smooth one. Talker. Yeah, my number one is uh, Doug Marone and uh, Gardner Minshew. And that's, I think, people, it, it makes sense, right? Marone has no business being a head coach in the NFL, hasn't for three seasons. <laughs> I can't understand it. Tom Coughlin finally, you know, he was the scapegoat this last year. He's no longer with the organization. It's as there was he president of player personnel. Yep. Yeah, he's gone. But it really, it's all Doug Marone. What the hell are the Jaguars doing having him as their head coach? And then just, you know, if they wanted to move on from Nick Foles, that's one thing. But then to not even maybe invest in a quarterback in the draft or bring in a guy in free agency to compete and instead say, Minshew's our guy, the Costco blue jean cutoff wearing guy why is he why are you so big on him i i want to see Minshew be be a good quarterback but for me as a pairing right now marone will not be at the jags next season so, for, so what in the hell are they, i'm sorry for first off quit trashing costco no i have a pair of those jorts i'm yep. not mad at them and second off if you were like an eric Bieniemy or something with the chiefs are you going i'm not going to be offensive coordinator because i'm going to jacksonville to be a head coach it's hard, I think, for them to really get head coaches in there that are excited about the franchise. And I get a couple years ago they were in the AFC Championship, but Jacksonville just isn't attractive. And there's been rumors, you know, they're moving to London, they're moving here, they're doing this. It's so hard to keep players there, Jalen Ramsey. And Nick Foles didn't work out there. I think it's hard for coaches to just say, I'm giving up my offensive coordinator position where I know I am safe 
and I'm going to Jacksonville. That's, no, it's fair. I and mean, I just think there's there's enough people out there though that are seeking jobs that a guy like Doug Marone, who's just Zach you know had, had different times in his career, has just you know burned out, and, yeah. and it's, he's doing it again. And it, so it's just there's been a trend, and yet they stuck with him for I think two years too long. But that's again that's that's why they come in at number one for me. What is your number one pairing then? If I've gone with the Jaguars, and, and I do have one question before we move on. Sure. Here. If you are the Jaguars. Who is starting the first game next year? Is it Minshew? Is it Trevor Lawrence? Or is it Justin Fields? Next year? Next, not this the, coming season. The, year, the next the year. The 2021-2022 season. Well, oh, that's a good one. It's going to be... Is there a team worse than you taking Trevor Lawrence? Redskins, Are you maybe? taking Justin Fields? Or did you fall back? Or did you play well enough that I, Minshew's sure. starting? I think it'll be, it'll be Minshew. He'll do enough, I think, to just... Be a bridge quarterback and, at that and, point. And we'll talk about this in future episodes when we do team breakdowns. But I do like offensively what they have going on there. Yeah. They got the weapons. Whatever happens with Leonard Fournette is what it They're is. building an O-line. But they do have the offensive weapons to succeed. But enough with the Jaguars because I doubt we have very many Jaguar fans on here. Well, that was the most I've ever talked about <laughs> the Jaguars. But my number one here, and I've barked up this tree forever, is Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow. Whoa, hold on. So your favorite player in the entire draft, you're throwing under the bus now. No, throwing Zach Taylor under the bus again. And again, I'm not going to dive into it. He he accidentally, you know, took Stumbled a pee next to, next to the Rams coach, and now he's the Bengals coach. But he he's just not an NFL coach. He, he's a good coordinator, in my opinion, Agreed. but he is not going to take Burrow to the next level. And I think there's going to be a, a big stumbling out of the block for Burrow. There's going to be a lot of interceptions, a lot of confusion until he can get a guy in there that he's comfortable with working. Zach Taylor's a one in, or, I mean, he's already had one year, but this is his last year. Organization's going to get rid of him, move on. And the reason I don't like this duo, and it's, I do like Burrow a lot, but the reason I don't like this duo is because I think. The coach is going to hurt Burroughs. Absolutely, progression. absolutely. So, to me, that's why it, I, I like the fact that you put it up there and you, you brought light to it because I do think there's a there's a big fear that Zach Taylor could be bad for Joe Burrow for his first year. There's a reason that I mean Zach Taylor's jumping up and down when they take Burrow, and it's not because we got the number one pick. It's because it's hope that Burrow has enough talent to make Zach Taylor look like a good coach. Zach Taylor couldn't take Andy Dalton, who, again, not a great quarterback, but a good enough quarterback in the league to win games and couldn't win two games last year. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, that is our breakdown of, of the coach and quarterback duos. Um, let us know your thoughts. Who, who's the, the coach and quarterback duo you, you hate the most in the NFL and who's the one you like the most? Um, and tell us how you thought our rankings were. And for the last part of episode 13, we thought we would talk about Teams that have the most at stake for the 2020 season, you know, there's every team, of course, the season's important, but there we've found there's 10 teams that really have the most at stake that this season can make or break a lot for these teams. Um, so that's what we're going to dive into. And we thought we'd give the listeners a treat. We thought we'd bring in our first um, guest appearance on the Quicker Than Fast podcast. That's my roommate, our resident Chargers fan, if you can believe it, Jonathan Wieger. John, how are you doing? And are you excited to talk about uh, the, the most at stake for 2020? Yeah, happy to be here. You know, it's great weather outside. And we're stuck indoors, yep, so that's yep. how we're doing. <laughs> but yeah, so we're going to start with the number 10 team that has the most at stake uh, for the 2020 season, and that would be the Minnesota Vikings. So we had previously just talked about a little bit the Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins duo there. Um, and the reason the Vikings, you know, they lost so much in this offseason, you know, losing out on, you know, losing Everson Griffin, lo- losing Xavier Rhodes, uh, losing Stephon Diggs. 
you know, they had a good draft, a draft that we've talked about was one of the one of our favorite drafts. But you've got to implement all those rookies into a team now that, you know, salary cap has some still has some issues. Uh, you're an older, you know, roster. And to me, I think Mike Zimmer, this might be his last year at the Minnesota Vikings, sadly, because if they don't make a playoff run, uh, I mean, are you going to get any better with Mike Zimmer there with the roster that they have built there? So it might be time to bring in a new head coach for that team. So for us, the Vikings have a lot at stake there because you might see a lot of turnover there or somewhat of a rebuild if they can't reach a playoff run. I know you have some family that are Vikings fans, um, and so you yourself have kind of followed the Vikings, have done this offseason. Kind of what are your thoughts on like what the Vikings have to prove this year? Coming off, I believe, a 10-6 and season, where do you kind of see them next year? Do you see them as a 10-6 and team or maybe outplaying that? Yeah, I mean, their division, there's quite a few messy divisions in the NFL this year coming up, but this is definitely, I think, one of the messier ones. I mean, a lot of money for the quarterback, Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook coming up. It's, it is kind of a make-or-break year for them, I believe. Um, Kirk's got how many years left on his deal? Uh, man, I think they just extended it, so maybe a couple more now, two more years after their extension. Yeah. So, But, yeah, I think you, you brought up a good point there with Dalvin Cook, though, because if you haven't been seeing the news, I'm sure your Vikings fans have, but there's probably going to be a holdout with Dalvin Cook, very similar to what we saw with Melvin Gordon, and I think he's prepared to take it pretty far. And I know – uh, you know, my co-host Robert mentioned earlier the idea that Kirk Cousins shot probably be paying some money out and be like, you know, you should just be playing because you're going to help my success. But yeah, I think there's a lot riding there with the potential holdout. Um, and as you mentioned, Kirk Cousins' contract's not very friendly. Mike Zimmer's potential departure. So that's why Vikings for us come in at number 10. Number nine is the Buffalo Bills. Now this team and the team we put in front of them are teams that just have expectations going into 2020. And that's why for us, they're going to land in here with most, you know, at stake for 2020 because they've got expectations finally. Buffalo Bills, AFC, you know, AFC East is kind of open now. Buffalo coming off of a playoff where they lost in a, in a late game to the Texans. Probably should have won that game. Coming with the young roster. I'm really excited what they can do. Now, here's a question for you, John. Buffalo Bills, New England Patriots, AFC East, who is your favorite? you got the, the brady list. Patriots, the up-and-coming Bills. You still got Belichick. Stidham, your thoughts on that division there? It's going to be a great year to see what Belichick's got because really it's it's, it's totally his team now. Um, Bills, I still think they're playing with a little bit of house money. I think it's too early in Allen's career for them to have that much pressure. But arguably their offseason went really well. They've just gotten better. So I think really it's on them to win the division. So you think Bills, would they be if you're a betting man, would you put your money on the Bills to win the division or the New England Patriots to win the AFC East? I will be betting with my heart, so I would say Bills. That's, yep. a, that's a good man right there. That's why he's our roommate. So, But, yeah, I think Josh Allen's going to have to make a jump. You mentioned it. Like, Josh Allen, I don't, I don't think it's fair to say necessarily that he's overplaying where he was drafted because, I mean, he was an early pick. So, I mean, he's, he was supposed to be doing what he's doing. But he's definitely going to have to make that next step if they're going to be not only division winners but also conference champions, maybe even do a Super Bowl down the road. But a young roster, super excited for the Bills. And I mean, with Diggs there, you know, kind of a head case maybe potentially there. If he's not getting a lot of balls his way, you know, he might have to deal with some something there. So Absolutely. So yeah, Bills, really fun team to look forward to. But our number eight team, and this was a team Robert wanted us to really talk about too. And we, we mentioned it earlier, the Arizona Cardinals. Now we haven't got to talk about them for quite a while because now after what kind of happened at the end of last season and the offseason they've had, really are popping on people's radars. You know, about two years ago, people were like, the 49ers might be that team that makes that jump, you know getting in some some younger players, getting in uh, a quarterback. Now, Cardinals, I think, in that same division are that team that we're talking about where it's coach and quarterback duo we mentioned. You're bringing in some really cool, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, some other pieces via the draft, Isaiah Simmons. 
I think the Cardinals, they have some pressure, though, to, to try to meet some of those expectations. People maybe don't have the same expectations as the Bills on the Cardinals, but expectations to not just be a below 500 team. For me, I have expectations to compete as maybe the number two team in the NFC West. What are your kind of overall thoughts with the Cardinals kind of being an outside guy there with the Cardinals? Yeah, I definitely think they're going to be a fun team to watch this year. But I think the main issue is just how difficult that their their, their division, division is. is. Yeah. But, yeah, I expect to see Murray make leaps and bounds this year. Um, Hopkins, no excuse really. Yep. And some great rookies coming in. So, yeah, I think uh, – I think they definitely should be, if not at 500, a game or two above it. Now, here's another one. So that division, that NFC West, you know, you have the Niners, Seahawks, Cardinals, Rams. Put them in order for me, top to bottom. Who's your Who's your division winner in the NFC West for you? I think a lot of people would put the Niners. Sure. But I think Rightfully. I'm going to go with the Seahawks. Okay. And then your Niners. Now, here's the tough one. Cardinals or Rams for third and fourth? Yeah. Will the Rams be the dumpster fire some people are projecting and be at the bottom of the NFC West? I see my co-host Robert's nodding his head in excitement for some reason. Uh, for me, this is where the battle is at, right? Like the one and two, yeah, it should be close. But to me, for what, I'm really excited to see what happens here. Rams or Cardinals for number three? I would like to think that just the sheer talent they have, um, that the Rams would would take the third spot. I okay. think they'll have an up year. Sure. But you're still talking, if that's the case, that division being one of the best, if not the best division in football, when the season's all done, you know, said and done. Yep. Another little question for you. All these hypotheticals. This is what we do in our apartment constantly is throw <laughs> hypotheticals back and forth. Would you rather have your, your GM of a team, head coach of a team, Josh Allen, your quarterback for the future, or Kyler Murray, your quarterback for the future? You've seen now two more years of Josh Allen, then you have Kyler Murray. The Kyler Murray flashed, obviously number one overall picks, got the talent, got the legs, but so does Josh Allen. Tell me your thoughts there, and I'll let you know what mine is. I think as long as your center is maybe not the tallest center in the league, I think you got to go with Murray. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, and for me, I've just always had this affinity for Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen has that Wentz potential. He has a lot of the things that Carson Wentz has, some Ben Roethlisberger in him. He's got this, this fight in him. Um, and for me, I just think I'd go with Josh Allen. But, yeah, very, very good young quarterbacks that should be in the league for a long time. I mean, it'll be really cool to see if Wyoming – because I don't think you, you get a lot of big names out of Wyoming. Nah, so not a ton of them. Cool. Yep, absolutely. So we'll move to number seven. And this one Robert, uh, Robert definitely talked about with the, the Dan Quinn and Matt Ryan. But the Atlanta Falcons, number seven for us for teams with most at stake. Because similar to the Vikings – you could see an absolute implosion at the at the Atlanta Falcons this year if things don't go well. Dan Quinn, Exodus, Matt Ryan. Do you maybe try to trade him? Do you you know because he's going to slow down his deal? Julio Jones. Do you maybe let that receiver who's wanted out maybe a couple times go to a team that he wants to go to? You know they're just in a position where it could either go really well with like it did a couple years ago, or they could be looking for a rebuild. And then we won't be talking about the Falcons for quite a while. Your thoughts? Would you rather bet money on the Falcons? being good next year, maybe a borderline playoff team in a tough division, or on the flip side, drafting the top 10, and you're looking at Dan Quinn being fired? I definitely think they'll be drafting the top 10 this year. I think Matt Ryan and Dan Quinn, they're, they're years removed from when they should have already been gone. Um, I love I love Matty love Ice. That. <laughs> love Matty Ice, but it's just it's been too long. And I mean, with Tom Brady and Philip Rivers moving, I think he could definitely still find a home somewhere. Yeah, yeah so that for us, that's why they come in – you know, there's not a ton of expectations to the Falcons next year. It's more of a fear that it could be a burnout. And if you're a Falcons fan, you're just hoping that that defense can turn around because otherwise you could be looking at a completely different team come two years from now. Now, number six, we get to talk about our friend Bill O'Brien again and the Houston Texans. We see the co-host shaking his head in disgust because I mentioned the name. 
Um, but yeah, we won't. We're not going to really dive in on the Watson situation because we've talked about that at length. Um, but Bill O'Brien again, I, he needs to be out of there as GM. And there's just a lot riding at stake for the Texans because you, as GM, trade DeAndre Hopkins. You move pieces around. You have a questionably weird draft. And so, for to me, you you have a lot to prove in a division that may be still for the taking. You have the Titans, Colts, Jags. You should be better than the Jags. I think you probably should be better than the Colts because of the new quarterback and things like that. Now, Titans probably are my favorite for that division. But what are your thoughts, Texans? Why do you think they come in at number six with so much riding on them this year? Well, I personally am a huge David Johnson fan. And I know that's because I've had some rough times in fantasy. Can't let it go. Nope. Can't keep him with the curve. Can't let it go. So, I mean, that would that would really make me laugh this year if, um, if Bill O'Brien ends up looking like a genius. And uh, Hopkins either has an injury or attitude issues, and David Johnson just looks like a god that we all know he is. So, yeah, they, they definitely have a lot of pressure. Um, Philip Rivers at the Colts, that that could take a little bit of time. So, yeah, there's it's definitely on the Texans to to win that division or at least yeah. be a game under the and, whole season. And I think one of the things that's riding on this is obviously Bill O'Brien's job's at stake, both as head coach and GM, of course. But also, DeAndre Hopkins, sorry, Deshaun Watson's potential future there isn't at stake as well i mean the idea that he his contract is going to be coming up in a couple of years you know maybe you know two years now and why would you want to stay at a team that's you know really poorly run if they can maybe make the playoffs this year maybe that gives him hope that yeah all my friends were traded but look at we can still get it done so we're going to move on now we've, we've talked about him a little bit number five the new england patriots now why do they have so much at stake it's because tom brady's gone i mean everybody's talking about it in the media but Tom Brady's gone. Now Bill Belichick has a chance to say, you know what? I can do this with Jared Effin Stidham, who I think is, is a fine quarterback and will kind of surprise some people next year. But you still have a really good defense there in New England. You know, are they going to repeat as AFC champs, AFC East champs, like they've done year after year after year? So your thoughts on the Patriots. How critical is this season? Or do you think they're kind of playing with house money? I would say just to some regards, they are definitely playing with house money. But I think just the pressure of the fan base and Bill, Bill Belichick's, you know, high work ethic, I, I definitely think that they would consider themselves for sure favorites. Um, Stidham, yeah, I honestly had never heard of him until Brady left, basically. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see them battle the Bills. Absolutely. Well, that's good. And to, I just think the Patriots, that Patriots-Bills battle is going to be a lot of, you know, super exciting to watch. And we'll just have to see. But there's a lot riding on the Patriots team to, to for Bill Belichick's, you know, I mean, he's cemented as one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach of all time. But there's that little bit left in his legacy to say, I can just do this whenever the hell I want. And that could be this year. And I mean, it's really exciting to see. Number four for us, we're coming up on the Chicago Bears, who we didn't really talk about previously in this episode. But the Chicago Bears have just a ton riding on this season because, again, that's a team that could have a little blow up here. You know, you're paying your defense a lot, still a very good defense, one of the top five, maybe top three defenses. We've talked about the Mitchell Trubisky situation enough with Nick Foles. That right there, you could be losing your quarterback, who you traded up to get, and be looking again next year to hopefully not make the same mistake. And then Matt Nagy could be looking for a new job next year. So there is, again, this is a team with not a ton of expectation. The expectation really just being don't be a disaster and hopefully finding out either Nick Foles or Trubisky is your quarterback going forward. Your thoughts, do you think Bears are closer to a playoff team next year or a drafting top 10 getting possibly like the Trevor Lawrence's, the Justin Fields, the, the Newman's or the Lance's. What are your thoughts on that? 
The Bears really are on the edge of a knife. I mean, there there seriously is enough time to cover every facet of kind of what a, basically a dumpster fire. We could say that they've Absolutely. kind of become lit by Matt Nagy himself. They're almost like a Falcons 2.0, you know, going to the Super Bowl and then not even catching a whiff of it. A little bit of Rams in there too. The Rams, Bears, yep. Falcons all have a lot of similarities. I mean, I think they could even even look at the Lions, and if Stafford has a great year and doesn't get hurt, they could they could finish last in that division. Yep. So that was really yeah. That was my next question for you. Do you think Lions or Bears are better there? So I and I agree with you. I there's some excitement for the Lions a little bit because you have Stafford still, and if he can stay healthy, they still have some weapons there. But yeah, Bears fans, I mean, just hold on to your seat, try to enjoy the ride while you can because it could get ugly pretty soon. So number three now coming in for most at stake for 2020 is the Baltimore Ravens. Now it's an interesting one because for me, and this one I kind of argued with, I want in here pretty high. There has to be a ton of expectations for the Ravens. You can't be a team who two years in a row just get knocked down the playoffs so easily, just like a wind knock you over. It just you're you you just had the MVP in the NFL. You were the best regular season team in the NFL, and then you just walked out of the playoffs. And for to me, or for me, they should be repeating again as one of the better teams in the in the NFL in regular season. But they need to with what they did in the draft, with what they did in free agency, the defense they've built, the weapons they have on offense. There is no excuse for them not to be playing the AFC Championship game next season. So for to me, there's a ton riding on that. And Robert mentioned it a little bit previously. You know, John Harbaugh's job is fine right now, but what happens if it's another down year they don't make the playoffs? And then the year after that, they maybe are a, a 10 and 6 team. You have to start looking around saying, could we do better? And start because something's got to change if you have a, a quarterback maybe as transcendent as Lamar Jackson. Your kind of thoughts on the Ravens and maybe that division as a whole with the Steelers, Bengals. Um, and Ravens, of course. Yeah, this year I kind of compare the Ravens situation a lot with the Seahawks, and even the Seahawks, even though the Seahawks aren't even on this list, I think that's more to do with how difficult their division is. Whereas the Ravens, you know, you've got a Bengals team that's a mess. You have the Steelers coming back. You know, they're talented on defense, but who knows what Big Ben's going to be? And then the fourth team is the Browns. Browns always a mess. So really, people expect the Ravens kind of clean house in that division. And that's, that is where the pressure is. You know, the Seahawks have had more playoff success. So that's why the Ravens are in here. I think they definitely deserve to be on the top 10 list. I think they're a little high, but they definitely need to uh, go a few games farther in the playoffs this year. Now, for, for me, we, and we the Browns didn't really make our list, but that's because every year there's something at stake with them because it is, I mean, they are the quintessential dumpster fire of the NFL. You know, getting Kevin Stefanski in there with Baker Mayfield, I would say overall – Baker has more to prove than the Browns as a whole this year. You know, they're getting a young roster there with quite a bit of talent. It's more Baker's has, if, if we did players that have a lot to prove in 2020, he might be at the top of that list. So that's maybe why the Browns didn't hit our list. But we're going to move to another team that we have. I know we have listeners of. Obviously, I'm kind of biased in talking about. But that's the Dallas Cowboys at number two. And the reason why so much is riding at stake really just has to do with Dak Prescott. I mean, Dak is turning down 30-plus, maybe $35 million a year money saying he wants 40. So there's a good chance Dak's going to be playing on a, on a franchise tag, which has worked in the past, but usually doesn't. So he's going to be working on, on a, a, or playing on a franchise tag, and it could either go amazing or it could just go absolutely terrible. And then you're looking for a new quarterback or you're having to pay him some ridiculous money. You have, you have a good roster that should compete. So there should be some expectations in a pretty, pretty lackluster division, but minus the Eagles. So for me, that's why the Cowboys have so much riding on the season. New head coach, quarterback, you know, kind of refusing to sign a long-term contract. A team that should be okay or should do well in a division that needs a, a more consistent division champ. Your thoughts on the Cowboys? Yeah, I mean, I think 
if Jason Garrett was still there, obviously it would be. I mean, I think even with Tom Brady, the Bucks, they'd be at top of the list with the, with the pressure they'd be under. But with first year coach, I think there's a little bit of leeway. But definitely with how much money is in that team, they they have to win the division, or it's it's a complete failure of a season. Now, if you're the Cowboys, and because I'm really biased as an Eagles fan on this one, I don't really want to speak too much on it. As an outsider for the Cowboys, would you pay Dak forty million a year? If, if that's what he's asking for, do you think you've seen enough out of him to say, no, we can't do that, Dak. You're going to have to walk. We'll go find a different quarterback because we have the skill players. We have the offensive line. We've, you know, you came into the system and worked well. We can do it again. Are you paying Dak $40 million a year or not? I think with players like Cam Newton that still have a home, it's just difficult to, to give any quarterback that kind of money. I mean, it seems like any quarterback that starts in this league nowadays, they think they, they should get over $30 million. In, unless you're like a Bridgewater where you're, you know, coming off just a couple games of, of form. Sure. But no, I, I wouldn't pay them. And see, kind of money. I'll, do, I'll just spit my bias out there quick. I want them to pay them because I think Dak is average, above average at times. And if you lock him up to $40 million, all you're doing is making sure your team can't have enough, you know, players around. And so it's going to be an average team with an average quarterback. But that's why, you know, my bias is, is, is probably not needed there. But our number one team, uh, as John alluded to a little bit, but that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Just so much happening there in the offseason with getting Tom Brady, getting Gronkowski. And, and you know, we talked about the, the Arians and Brady um, um, duo there. There's just so much riding. The expectation is huge. And it's so huge with a quarterback that maybe has two years left. You're not talking a quarterback who came in there. Like maybe when Garoppolo went to the Niners, who might have eight more years, ten more years. It's a quarterback with two years, maybe one year, depending on how the season plays out, With if we get football early or not, there's just so much riding on what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are because if it doesn't go well, Tampa Bay just threw everything kind of away and are going to have to rebuild from scratch. So I know you probably share the sentiment on the Bucs. Your thoughts kind of? Yeah, the Bucs really, I mean, I think especially on the offensive side, they really just just threw the sink at it. I mean, tight end was their strength, one of their strengths, and they still went out and got Tom Brady's old beer-drinking friend, Gronkowski. So yeah, it's definitely it's crazy for a fan base to go from flirting with 500 every now and then to expecting a Super Bowl essentially this year. And I think the expectations are way too high on them, but we've talked at length about how we love their young defense. We love Todd Bowles being there. The offense should be f- fantastic, but again, I'm going to I'm going to put all my money on the Saints winning that division until I can see, you know, these players aren't getting a ton of time with their quarterbacks because of COVID. So we and we've talked about this too. They're going, they're, there's going to be a little chemistry issue. Of course, bringing Gronk in helps that, but you also you kind of need an emergence of a running back there because you don't want Brady throwing it 40 times a game. You hope Arians can do what he kind of did with David Johnson, find a guy. Maybe it's Ronald Jones. Maybe it's Keyshawn Vaughn that can really propel that team um, where where I guess the expectations hold them. So for us, that's our you know top 10 teams that have most at stake for the 2020 season with the Bucks coming in at number one, like many people would expect. So. That does it for us for episode 13. We were glad to have a guest on, have John on. I know he was looking forward to it. Um, hopefully we can do that with more people down the road, have people stop in and, and join in an episode that they think is interesting or they're, they recommended to us. And with that, please continue to, to send in recommendations for episodes. Um, we will be starting on um, some fantasy football preview here soon. Also our uh, projections for the division standings for the NFL. So we'll keep just looking forward to the 2020 season. Um, we just hope everyone's doing well, tuning in, um, stay active on the socials at quicker than fast podcast. And as always keep it sleazy and we're out.
Do you